This episode of the CZ Media Podcast is brought to you by Rancho Bravo Tacos. They have two convenient locations, Capitol Hill and Wallingford. I love going to Capitol Hill. I'll go order my food, whether it be tacos, burritos, or tamal. I love their tamales. They're fantastic. And then I'll go sit on the patio, enjoy my meal, and then wait for something interesting to happen. And given that it's Capitol Hill, something interesting always happens. If you don't have time to go to either location, you can always order through your favorite food ordering app, Uber Eats, Caviar, or Chow Now. They make it really easy to get all of your favorite items. So next time you're craving some delicious Mexican food, stop in or order. You'll be glad you did. And welcome back to the Season Media Podcast. Before we start, I want to remind everyone to follow us on social media, CZ Media Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Check out the website, czmedianetwork.com. Uh, you'll find the other show that I do there, the Our Reality Happy Hour with Wife. Uh, check those out. And then we are also on every one of your favorite podcasting apps. So Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and iHeartRadio, you can find us there. Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, and then shout out to the sponsors, Rancho Bravo Tacos. Man, got to love me some tacos. <laughs> I'm trying to cut down on the carbs, so I do the it, – it's just basically a meat bowl. It's impossible. With cheese. Impossible. And lettuce. Call it the impossible the bowl. The impossible <laughs> so shout out to them uh, check them out they're on capitol hill and in wallingford you can get it through caviar uber eats and chow now uh, and then there's a location in wallingford walk up order away you go uh, really good and then another shout out to crunchy red fruit my friend over uh, at crunchy red fruit is jackson he curates a he calls it a wine club no, what does he call it? A wine circle. He calls it a wine circle. So, yeah, he's built hundreds of relationships with small wineries throughout Europe. He was the main sommelier at Canlis for, I believe, about a decade. So he took all of these relationships that he's built and then built his own wine circle where he, where every month he brings you some very interesting low low quantity wines that you'll be sure to love pastor yes or no on the wine uh <laughs> if you're referring to new wine then yes alcoholic beverages probably not <laughs> so check them out uh, enjoy responsibly of course um all right so all of this housekeeping stuff is is out of the way so today i am speaking with pastor jamal cole from greater gospel Yes, sir. Hello, Pastor. How's it going, my friend? Thanks for coming. And I'm glad to be here. Well, thank yeah, th thank you. So I, I don't know the on my <clears throat> show. I like to talk to all different types of people, and then I sort of bill it as a. There are many interesting. There are okay. There's thousands and thousands of interesting people in Seattle, and I want to talk to all of them. You can say that twice. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had, you know, I've had interest. So that you are, I will say, you are the first pastor that i've had on the show and it's a little um 
I've been thinking a lot about how I was going to go about doing this. Like, what is this? Like, what what are we going to talk about? How are we going to talk about it? What topics are we going to talk about? Well, we've had a few weeks to try to figure it out, huh? Yeah, it's and it's really tough. It, it, it's really difficult because on the one hand, I, you know, I keep the show well crazy. Hey. Like there's there. I do a little. I, I pastoring you know, we, is. It's a little crazy. I believe it. So, I mean, that's sort of where I went, right? So where I ended up going was, what do people want to know? What do non-church-going people want to know about running a church? Yeah, actually, you don't pastor a church unless you are crazy <laughs> or truly called by God that's to do right. it. That's <laughs> right. It's not a, uh, I think I'm going to. Uh, no. It, it, you, you, I mean, yeah. one reason or another, it's full in, head yeah. full in, jump in with both feet. Type I, of, type I, of tell, I tell new pastors all the time, if this is not something you're 100% sure that you feel God has called you to do, right? just run for your life. <laughs> Sell insurance. <laughs> Be much easier. Do something else. Yeah, do something else. So how long, how long have you been pastoring? It will have been 21 years this October. We 21. just celebrated. But you're a young man, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, I, I started my church when I was about 22. Wow. Yeah. And it was just terribly too too young. Uh, I mean, I knew I was called to do it. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that later. But but the timing was um, was way out of whack. You know, there was some extenuating circumstances that really pushed me into it prematurely. Mm-hmm. And if if I could go back and do anything over again, I wouldn't have allowed those circumstances to, you know, make me feel forced to do it at so that time. So you were time. pressured to start a church? Yeah. And it wasn't pressure from church people. Yeah. It was, just to be quite frank, <clears throat> um, the ministry I was at at the time, which was a wonderful ministry, um, my my family um, just was not uh, vibing there, mm-hmm. and and um, without getting into too many details, uh, <laughs> we don't want to throw anybody under the bus today. <laughs> um, I I launched out to kind of really um, provide some type of uh, covering for them. Okay. It was working for me, but it wasn't working for them. Yeah. Um, and it was just a shipwreck. <laughs> it was a yeah. shipwreck for 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 my personal life. Yeah. The church exploded. It was, you know, I think partly because it was it was new. I was young. Right. You know. Well, I mean, 21, 22 yeah, year old yeah. pastor opens right. up a church. Right. There's a shock value there all by yeah. itself. Right. So, but yeah. you're right. That would I, I can see how that. Well, it's like uh, I, I will use the word appropriately here. Success, where mm-hmm. you know the you get you have a certain level of success at a young age. You don't know how to deal with it. No, no, I did not know. And it and it was it wasn't so much the success because I, I think I'm having more success now than I was then uh, because success is not. Success is sometimes what should be, in my opinion, quantified by longevity as well. Right. Right. So <clears throat> the longevity wasn't there. It was just really a explosion. And, and it was like, wow, you know, this is taking off pretty fast. But then it kind of fizzled because my maturity level was not was not developed enough to be able to handle people. Right. Because let's be honest, you know pastoring is people business oh yeah yeah right (laughs) yeah i don't think i have i don't think i have that personality at all (laughs) i get annoyed quite quickly yeah so you had so would you say that your your patience wasn't there that your empathy maybe Mm. hadn't reached a certain point yet no, I, my patience was there for yeah. people. Like I said, I was called to it. Yeah, I, I personally think that, um, you know, based off of my studies of scriptures and, and, and what I feel God has done in my heart for people, uh, I personally feel that it's something that God places in you for people. Right. The empathy, right, the, the patience. But I'm specifically talking about my character okay. and, and my integrity was not at the mm. level 
that it needed to be yeah. to pastor people at 22 years old. <laughs> you know, and I and, and and that's not to say that I you know had any major uh, moral um, deficits because sure. because I didn't. But you know, there were some other things that needed to be tweaked. You yeah. know, that you can't really sustain um, a ministry if you don't tweak everything. Right. You know what I'm saying? Did Did you have help for this, or was this a one man show? Was who Who was uh, your support system at this time? Yeah. You know what? I I I I had help in terms of you know people that would show up, you know, on Sunday and sing or play an instrument or um you know maybe teach a sunday school class or something like that but but i didn't help i didn't have help pastoring okay and that's a taboo topic in specifically the pentecostal church which which i come out of and i'm still a part of but it's taboo because most traditional pastors do not feel that mm, Help is required. Right. <laughs> you know, an assistant pastor, you know, oh, God didn't call him. He called you, yeah. young man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is, uh, that, is that ego? You know, I, I I think for some it is. And then for some, they they genuinely feel like <clears throat> that's what the text is um, relaying to them. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I see Paul in the New Testament. He had a Timothy. Right. Timothy helped him, you know, with with the churches, um, and so forth and so on. I I have ADHD. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just let's just start right there. I <laughs> you need, need help. someone, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so now it's it's really it's really a good season for me because I've learned how to um, place pastoral help around me. Right. So I have an assistant pastor now. Okay. I have a youth pastor now. You know what I'm saying? I have somebody over women's ministry. Yeah. And so I can um, have the overall over oversight of the overall ministry, mm-hmm. you know, versus trying. Well, I mean, it seems to me that if you want to maximize your reach and you want to be able to help yeah. on various different fronts, you, you have to have it. You can't do that yeah. by yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's well, Moses couldn't even do it by himself. Right. You know, he, his, his father-in-law, Jethro pulled him to the side and, and said, Hey, you're going to kill yourself. If you keep yeah. <laughs> trying to do manage these people the way you're, you can't, right. you can't. Yeah. That's so then the, the, as I was thinking and trying to, you know, have all of these like, questions, like, what do I ask? The main thing that I kept coming back to mm-hmm. is how difficult is it to, have a church, be the pastor of a church in 2021 in Seattle when it, it, it in, in, so I, I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up yeah. Pentecostal. So, so I, you, I know yeah, those you know types the routine. of routine. I, I know how, <laughs> I know, the, you know, I've been right. And I appreciate it, man. Sure. I, I appreciate that, the, that, that upgrading that I had. And so, so, yeah, how hard is it to maintain the truth in in teaching and be true to you know the bible and to commandments and into mm-hmm. what is expected of christians sure when you're going to be called so i mean there's the, the you're going to be you know you're going to be canceled if anything comes out that you say that like how how do you do you think about that like do you factor in okay if i <laughs> do this and especially with you know the you know the well your youth pastor i know your youth pastor and talking to youth That's young true. people yeah. it's like they can you i'm thinking all right youth is going to attend these services they're going to be hearing this that's going to conflict with what it's, society it's, say it's, yeah it's counterculture like how do you do you do you first of all do you worry about that and then second um if you do how do you or do you try to mitigate it by you know, make it, making it, yeah, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say, making it consumable for, yeah. you know, a 16, 18-year-old kid who is hearing contrary messages. Sure. <clears throat> well, to answer your first question, it's de- it's not a challenge for me. It's not, it's not hard um, at all. 
Um, I, I think the reason why we we're hearing of so many pastors that are are quitting, like I mean, like every day, you know, mm-hmm. churches are closing their doors um, during the pandemic. Countless churches closed yeah. their doors, right? Um, and for a lot of them, and, and I say this with no shade at all, but I think a lot of them they were looking for an opportunity to close their doors anyway. Yeah, they want halfway out. Right. Um, and so that gave them a reason to do it mm. uh, without feeling, being publicly shamed. You know, right. like, oh, you know, I couldn't sustain it with everything <laughs> going on with COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah we, can, we can understand that, Reverend. Right. Right. And then you have so many pastors now, uh, it's almost an epidemic, that are um, committing suicide, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, so I hang my hat on what I what I first mentioned to you when we first started talking, and that is I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has called me to this work. Right. And so, um, not to sound churchy, but you know Pentecostals, we can't help that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a scripture that says, "Who whom He's called, He's qualified." Yeah. And justified. And so, <clears throat> because of because of that, I really. I really don't have that issue. Now, making it user-friendly or um, um, good for public consumption yeah. is, a, is, is a bit of a challenge, and I'm always praying and, and um, tweaking things and trying to be creative with, without, um, you know, butchering the text sure. and staying true to the text. Um, trying to find ways to, you know, uh, minister to this generation without watering, you know, watering down the truth. Yeah, that just seems so difficult to me, for for you to be able to do, like the. It, it's, well, the art the art form can become, a, it's definitely a technique. It's definitely something <laughs> that you have that can be a challenge. Yeah. But but the determination to preach what I believe is truth is is never challenging to me. Hmm. It's a mandate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's only challenging for those who are in it for the wrong reasons, right? Or want to want to uh, satisfy and want to uh, th- th- they, they want to be seek approval from the, from for, the outside for the wrong reasons. Yeah, for the outside. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. I I've seen and, and a you few don't definitely clips. don't want to pastor for for the uh, approval of men. <laughs> no, not at all. To be short lived. I mean, that's the mm, right. I mean, that's not what. Yeah. Th- that's not what it's supposed to be. Uh, I've seen a few clips of you preaching, and man, that just all brings back <laughs> P- PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yep, I I know this. It's like we were, you know, the we, you know we I we went to. The so the church that I grew up in was Pentecostal, but the organization was called Assemblies of God. Yeah, and then we were so you know, we are Mexican. Our, so our organization is the parent church or organization to the Assemblies of God. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm a part of the Church of God in Christ, and the Church of God in Christ was founded um, by Bishop Charles Harris, Harrison Mason, and uh, he did something extraordinary during a time of segregation um, when the civil rights movement was hot and heavy. And uh, this was um, in Memphis, Tennessee, of all places. Mm. He he felt impressed by the Lord to um, kind of uh, embrace the whole counsel of the word of God, not just sections where sometimes we pick and choose what we like and what we yeah. don't like. His His idea was, you know, well, let's look at all of this and in looking at it, you know, they begin to experience a more, uh, how would you say, uh, uh, fervor, right? More of a fire, fiery type um, <laughs> service. Yeah. I'm trying to use my words very Some gingerly here. Energetic, <laughs> <laughs> spirit filled, yes. and and people begin to have that spirit filled experience. Well, the Caucasian brothers weren't having that necessarily um, in large mass mm. and and they were coming over to Bishop Mason services and being uh, filled with the spirit okay having that experience and he ordained many of those men but what happened was because of the um, the um, segregation that was going on 
the police would often show up to these services and the the white brothers would have to sit in the balcony and the African-American brothers would have to sit on the bottom. Mm. And Bishop Mason, when he would get going and, and, and start moving, you know, in the spirit, um, the service would become so fervent that now, now these, these are, um, situations that are documented and have been alleged by those individuals who were there that have told their experience. So right. I'm not an eyewitness. Sure. I, I wasn't there. This is a, uh, well, firsthand account. Right. From a, right. From a eyewitness. But exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm just telling it as it was told to me. And um, you could probably just go online and research some of this. But anyway, long story short, when the spirit would get to moving, they were not able to separate the Caucasian uh, worshipers from the black worshipers, mm-hmm. they would all intermingle right. and and worship together. Yeah, and so this became problematic for the for the police department, and and so the white brethren went to Bishop Mason and said, respectfully, you know, this is becoming too much of a, a challenge. We we're going to pull away, and that's how the Assemblies of God was was formed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the first question that I have is going to show my ignorance towards. What 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 happened? What what happened during segregation? Mm-hmm. So, if there was a church, and the people in the church were okay, inter yeah. mingling and not segregating right. based off of race, the law could would still come in and say you have to segregate. Yeah. So again, I I was not there. Yeah. But um, based off of what I've researched, mm-hmm. this is what I understand. So. That that was that was the dynamics. Yeah, those were is, the dynamics, right? And then that's just my. I mean, I don't. I am not sure. knowledgeable enough about that whole time and what what caused it. And, and I'm sure there's some nuances to the story. You yeah, know. but the <clears throat> but over the overall, you know, um, tone of that um, narrative by itself is yeah. you know the fa- the fact that they even had to be there, you know, to try to you know, orchestrate. There's man, a lot of, lot of evil. Definitely. A lot of evil acting, definitely acting in and against this. Right. And, uh, you know, some might say, was, was it necessary to have separated, but knowing that they could only do so much as they were. And then again, wanting to reach more and expand more like that was a, yeah, that was a, probably something that they didn't want to do but felt necessary in order to continue yeah 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 and i I know we're having a conversation about um pastoring specifically but you know since we're on the subject you know this was i think a common thread throughout um movements that were headed by you know african americans that seemed to be positive Mm -hmm. and were growing you know and um had infiltration and um you know um different people that wanted to come and try to break it up you know right. um, you had this with the black panthers you know what i'm saying you had this uh you know with uh, martin luther king you know you had this with malcolm x you know what i'm saying um and every time it seems like at least in that era yeah you know um we were developing some type of forward movement you know, some type of equality or some type of, um, you know, um, positive um, force that was pushing us in the direction of equality, you know, there was an entity that wanted to kind of break that up and destroy right. that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, just, well, evil is just the word that, I mean, evil gets thrown around yeah. a whole lot yeah. lately and sometimes in cases where it shouldn't be, but right. this is a pretty clear-cut, well, in my opinion, a pretty clear-cut force that is stopping and shifting focus and, you know, the just overall counter, you know, undoing what what is being done, what, you know, the good that is being done. But, you know, the, the, so continuing along those lines of, of, uh, of how do you, not how do you move forward in today's in you know in the zeitgeist of the day of, mm-hmm. of today um 
what types of things do you do differently uh, to be able to reach? I'd like to talk about young people a lot more than the older people sure. because young people, man. <laughs> I was once young. <laughs> it's I mean, now I'm older. <laughs> I won't say I'm old. I'm old. I'm I old. just dress young. <laughs> Which is I think one I'm of the older things. than you. Uh, I have more gray hair than you because I color mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, CZ I Media is giving all of the 43. juicy details. I think I, yeah, I just turned 43 a couple weeks ago. Okay, I'm older than you then. Oh, so, are you? Yeah, I, right. I turned 43 in March. Okay, so, so we're a few last, months, yeah. a few months apart. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you've got youth, there, youth is, you are still in full yeah. youth mode. I yeah. Mean, you're, you're not in... Physically, you're you're not in the you're the the 40s, you know, mentally at all. So, do you to reach kids nowadays? Mm-hmm. What's your go-to? Like, what when when you you know, well, come across a group of kids, it's like, what's your? So, I I, I would say this: I'm I'm probably not too far removed from what what they have experienced and what they are experiencing even though I'm 43. Yeah. So, you know, before I started pastoring and before I um, became a born again Christian, um, you know, I was, I was involved with the, with the gang mm-hmm. uh, and very heavily um, enthralled with the lifestyle. Yeah. And um, I was also um, a rapper. Okay. And, yeah. And, and uh, about a week after uh I decided that I was going to um, give my life to Christ. I got a call from a record label uh, looking oh. to sign me. And I told them, you know, I don't do that type of music anymore. And and at that time, gospel rap was not a thing. <laughs> you know, you, you had gospel gangsters, right? But, you know, and no shade there. I like gospel gangsters. But it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. You know, you know kind of how, like, rap when it first came out, wasn't a thing. Right. It was, you know, for the group that was um, privy to it. Yeah. And now it's like in House every, parties. yeah. And now it's, now it's in everything. It's, it's in, in everything. Your, it's in your commercials. Martha Stewart loves it. I you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's commercial now. It is. So, so gospel rap, when I got saved, uh, that's a Pentecostal term. <laughs> when I got saved. Is it? Cause I, we, I mean, that's the thing. I, I am very familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you were Pentecostal, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, my mother, who is looking down on me, will probably uh, look at me weird if uh, I say I was. So I say I am. I am. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, but uh, shoot. Yeah. So so I probably would have did that, but it really wasn't, it, was, it wasn't a thing then, you right. know? So... <clears throat> When I say I'm not too far removed from it, like I know it when I see it, I can relate to it. And uh, when I talk to the kids, you know, I'm talking on that level. But now when I'm what I'm starting to realize is that in a few years, maybe the next 10 years, I won't really be able to maneuver like that yeah. anymore. And so I'm I'm strategically placing people in position um, who who can right right because that's how churches die right they i think i they think they don't evolve yeah well they don't well they don't evolve yeah you're right but i will say more specifically they don't put influencers in place okay they don't put impl- influencers in place so I, I i believe that god gives a uh an a level of influence if in the church we call it the anointing right okay the the anointing on an individual for a season, for a specific task, right. right? For a specific demographic, even not that God is is um, a respecter of person or that He's a prejudiced God, but everybody can't reach everybody. Sure, right? Some people can't speak my language, you know, and I can't speak other people's language. So it wouldn't make any sense for God to send me to that group of people when I won't be able to relate to them. Yeah. I may have the same message, but the method is not going to come across. It won't translate. Right. So I think that's why I'm successful now because I can still relate to a degree. <laughs> I can still 
make that connection. But I know that in a minute, right. wearing Jordans <laughs> not gonna do it. is not going to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm going to have to be responsible as a pastor yeah. to identify the next influencer for the generations that are coming. Yeah. So we don't miss a generation. Right. Yeah. So then that way they will be able to reach these, but then you're, I'm, I'm imagining now, but yeah. then your position then will be of, uh, of an, of an elder. Yeah. Of someone who will, you know, yeah. why, you know, who will be able to take it. Yeah. And really to be there to mentor them, you know, so they don't make some of the pitfalls that I made. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, and so just to answer your question, just to hit the nail on the head, what the reason it's working for me is because I still have influence with with them. Yeah. It's not because I'm preaching something that is like flooring them, you know, like, oh, my God, where did he get that revelation from? <laughs> oh, my God. Did you hear what Pastor said today? He's saying something that nobody's <laughs> ever said in the history of preaching. Exactly. No, it's just that. They can connect with me. They connect with me. And and you're making it real for them. Absolutely. My see the church I came up in, we were packed on Sundays. I mean packed on Sundays. And the pastor had people coming from the prison, coming from the gangs, coming from the track, <laughs> coming out the the dope house, alcoholics. I mean coming I mean, coming in, the young people absolutely loved him yeah. because he was an influencer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But now, although he still has the same message, and I personally believe he still has the same power behind his message, he doesn't have the same influence mm-hmm. that he had because this generation is is too far removed from, yeah. you know, that you 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 bring up something interesting and it's something that i've had many conversations with with lots of different people liberal mostly on the liberal side where you talk about relatability and when i was a kid i never looked to someone or something and said i relate to this yeah. because they were brown you're right like i didn't have that i my like my parents never said you know, look, you know, stick with Mexicans or, right. oh, you know, build better bonds with Mexicans right. or, or value Mexicans more than X, Y, Z. Like they never said that at all. Like, so, you know, you know, so a lot of kids now, you know, they they make commercials about this where, you know, the little brown kids say, I didn't think I could be a superhero because I never saw a brown super. It's like, who, who, like, I, where does this come from? Right. Like to me, that's a really alien way to think. And I, I, you know, I, and then I just bring it back to my parents never isolated, pointed it out. Like my parents never made it a point to say you are different Mm -hmm. because I think then if they had, then I would have only looked for those, those, you know, images or those, actors or those superheroes that sure. uh, that were only looked like me um so i i think that it's that's a really thing but i mean it's a real thing because yeah. you have kids you have kids saying i didn't know i could be x y or z because there's mm-hmm. no one on tv or youtube or wherever in social media that is doing it that looks like me but i'm I, i'm on my own boat on this like i'm I'm you. I want to say the word unique, but not in a in a condescending way. Sure. Like I'm, I'm in my own brain when it comes to this. With the, I mean, what what do you th- what do you think about that? Like, do you think it's necessary? Do you think that we should be telling kids look for those that are similar to you, for you to relate to or to see what you can be. Like that, I, 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 in, in my opinion, I think that's sort of, uh, if you're doing that, that is making your, that is narrowing your worldview and that it is decreasing your, um, 
I mean, if you were to say a store, it's like, I'm not going to sell this product to this certain type of person. Like your customer base is going to yeah, be super small. Sure. I mean, I, I would, I would agree with that narrative overall. Uh, but I would challenge it to, to an extent. <clears throat> and maybe I would challenge it by, by start asking you a question. Where, where did you grow up? Yeah. And that's the first thing that people ask me. So, <laughs> so I grew up in just outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aurora, Aurora, Illinois. And my wife laughs because I always follow my that. My family's from saying, Joliet. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Juliet's just a bit southeast gotcha. of Aurora. Um, Aurora is the second biggest city in Illinois. So, Chicago, then Aurora. And I lived on the east side, which was all Mexican. Gotcha. So, my parents moved there in the uh, late 60s. Uh, never needed to learn English because their insurance guy, the people who they bought their cars from, their grocers, you know, everyone was Mexican and spoke Spanish. So no need to learn English. Uh, And then the west side of the city was all, it was like the the black neighborhood. Sure. And then the white folks lived on the outskirts, Mm -hmm. and then they just kept on pushing out and pushing out. Sure. So now Aurora has its own suburb. (laughs) And then it's kind of... It's sort of still that way <clears throat> mm-hmm. as it is it, even now. So East High, so East Aurora High, whenever they played West Aurora High, it was, yeah. you know, my shade of of brown sure. for all of uh, for all of the athletes and all of the 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 people in the audience. And then for West High, it was all it was all black. So the school you went went to was primarily uh, Mexican. So I went to a private school gotcha um and my private school was a super small private school i was in a graduating class of three okay really small and um i would say that it was 70 percent white and then the rest of it some shade of brown sure Uh, so i interacted with mostly white kids yeah then a few uh, a few black kids Mm mm-hmm but then that that was it. Um, so my usual, what people usually tell me when I say that is that you didn't have to interact with anyone different than you. <laughs> so, but then I, I say that that sort of proves my, not that you're going to say that, but mm-hmm. that sort of thing that that proves my point even more. Mm-hmm. That even though I was only around people who looked like me, mm-hmm. once I got out, once I left home and then got out and you know realized that the world is big sure i never let that influence my yeah. my thinking but i would say that that uh it it probably um had something to do with your tolerance for humanity because you know when you when you when you go go to school and you have kids that are you know, calling you the N word or, or you're a Mexican and you go to a neighborhood, um, you know, and this is very common in LA, you know, where they're having race wars, you know what I'm saying? And, and the, and the blacks and the Mexicans, you know, primarily just to be fair now, it's, it's a, it's a gang thing. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's brutal, you know what I'm saying? And they almost have to stick together just to survive. Right. You know, where you were fortunate enough to, you know, not have that experience. So, so now that you're an adult, you know, you, you can kind of say, Hey, you guys play fair. You know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> not, that's not nice. That's not how I, I grew up. And, and, and there's a better way and you're right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I would just, you know, say, re- let's try to remember those who haven't had that experience and, and, and their means of survival was, you know, sticking to what I know. Right. Because outside of that, you know, I'm, I might get beat up at school yeah. or I might get, you know what I'm saying? There's definitely two sides to the coin, I there guess, is. is what I'm trying to so say. So I'll still say that it's just me. Yeah. I'm on my own boat here yeah. because I've always been not a loner, but, yeah, definitely not a loner. But I've never really cared what people say yeah so i've never been i've i've very reldom reldom 
Seldom. <laughs> no, we'll Very put that in the in the in the book of CZ Media uh, definitions. <laughs> yeah, we'll just start. I just invented a word. H one. Seldom. That's funny. <laughs> I very seldom succumb to peer pressure. It's like if some of my friends wanted like here smoke weed, it's like, dude, that's like I'm not gonna do it. Right. Like I never, I never succumb to 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 peer pressure. It didn't bother me that they called me names for not wanting to try stuff. Sure. Um. And I was, I was just okay with. But you had a great foundation, though. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Your parents laid that for you, and your environment, in my opinion, fostered that. You yeah. know what I'm saying. So you you have a great solid foundation. You know, I had great parents too. You know, just to be quite frank, the, but the area I grew up in, even though we were um, lived in a house, we were like maybe five minutes from what was considered at that time, you know, projects, you yeah. know. And the only reason they were considered projects is not because of the the, the apartments themselves, but because of the the uh, activities sure. <laughs> that were going on there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And, and so and you had to kind of be tough, you know, to hang around there, you know, and and and, and it was problematic. You know, I, I, I couldn't I didn't have the luxury, you know, of just saying, you know, no, nah, I'm not going to be involved. You know, because mm. we're going to everybody's involved. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Everybody's doing it. <clears throat> and uh, and you're the outcast at a at a young age. You know, when you get to be, you know, 18, you know, and up, you know, you've kind of been formed and molded and shaped. You know what I'm saying? It's easier to say, you know, no, nah, I got a mind of my own. No, nah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. But when you're you're 12, you know, and everybody's got a blue rag in their pocket, you know, or red rag in their pocket or, you know, everybody's, you know, doing God knows what, you know, certainly things my parents uh, would have been shocked to know yeah. that I was doing at that age. You know, then the peer pressure is a whole nother, it takes on a whole nother, um, you know, meaning. Yeah, no, I, yeah, the, I mean, I, yes, I acknowledge that that's, that that's, part of it and then i was also just thinking it's like my mom did train me to be that way mm -hmm. because i was the guy who his mom wouldn't let him do anything yeah my and my mom wouldn't either i <laughs> please don't let me create a false narrative here my mother wouldn't let me either remember she was a pentecostal uh saved holy rolling woman of god that spoke in many tongues <laughs> as the spirit gave so her Oh, very much so. Yeah. Uh, and so, and she taught me the same principles that you were taught. Uh, but I, the the rest of my environment was not conducive. You're right. For that, I had to. I was one way at home, and another way when I walked outside of those doors. And to your point, you're right. You know, no, we we should not um, put our kids in a box. We shouldn't teach them not to get along with everybody. We shouldn't put them in a in a mindset that they can't be creative, you know, and, right. and be whatever they want to be. You're absolutely right. But when you grow up in a bubble, you know, then you start taking on the narrative of of your surrounding, which for me it was the police, you know, who which were predominantly Caucasian were the enemy. Right. So now I'm now I got that in my head. You know, that 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 white people, which I know this isn't true because I have some precious um, white brothers and sisters that go to my church and and, and we love them dearly. Yeah. But at, at 12, 13 years old, now you're in, involved in gangs and, and now we recognize uh, police as as predominantly white and they're oppressing us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It becomes a part of your psyche. You feel me? It, so what's the... Uh, well... Is, was that from experience or was that from just it, the word on the street? No, or? actually. So I, I did experience uh, one time in particular, um, the police, you know, just kind of jacked me up for no reason. I was, I jaywalked. I did jaywalk. Yeah. But the treatment they gave me was totally uncalled for. Totally right. uncalled for, right? Um, but outside of that incident, um, and the other incidents where where it was definitely warranted. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely doing some GTA type stuff. It it was it was fed to me. Right. It was fed to me. 
Seriously, you know, it, this was fed to me. And again, not by my parents, but just by who I was hanging sure. around. And and I did, whose names I won't mention, I did have some other adults uh, around, you know, like in our family who would feed that narrative as well. Yeah. And to be fair to them, I think it was because of their past experiences. Sure. Because they were they were much older. So they came from that whole civil rights yeah, yeah. situation. And so when they said, don't trust white people, that stuck with you. Right. Like, what the do you mean? Weight. Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. I never had that experience. Right. But you're telling me they're not to be trusted. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, the, I, you know, again, so just in thinking about how these young kids are, the, the, the different messages that they're getting, you know, that's, that was a, that's another one. Yeah. It's like mistrust, like don't trust. Right. But then now it's moved past just police to right. teachers. Right. It's like now it's everyone <laughs> who is supposed to, who you, you well, I'm going to say in some sort of authority, right? We'll mm-hmm. put teachers in there. I think mm-hmm. like now that they have to be, analyzed and everything they say and how they what they do and body language and yeah has to be picked through to through with a fine tooth comb yeah. i just think that that's that's a lot of a lot of energy burning it is. in the wrong direction it is it is and i and i think um you know so obviously that was my mindset before i became a born again christian and, and when i did give my life to christ um i really began to study you know, the life of Christ and uh, and his principles. And as I began to do that, it, 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 it transformed me. And I learned how to love not only people who didn't look like me, but people who were my enemies. That, and, and, that, and, that, and that's a whole nother type of uh, um, care for humanity. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and so for me, that's, that's what really caused my, my thinking to shift. But but you're right, and the teachers, you know, have to really, in my opinion, I think they should go through not only learning how to teach math, language arts, biology, what have you, but they should go through some other courses that teach empathy, that teach how to relate to other cultures, yeah. to teach um, how to... Um, Embrace kids that may have learning disorders. Right. You know, like I didn't realize that I had ADHD until I was in the eighth grade and I was getting kicked out of school all the time. And they thought I had a behavioral problem. Right. But that was just the fruit. The root of it was I had ADHD <laughs> and nobody knew. And by the time I got diagnosed, it was already too late because if you, if you know anything about ADHD, we people call it for years, they've called it a... Um, attention deficit disorder yeah but technically what it is it's it's hyper focusing on something that your brain has prioritized so it's not that you can't focus (laughs) on these other things it's that you are hyper focusing on this particular thing and so all this other stuff that's important kind of falls off right and so because i didn't have the tools uh, to navigate that terrain I was hyper focusing on the streets. <laughs> that that grabbed your attention. It grabbed my attention. It's like this is where I want my yeah. mind to right because to function because this this math problem isn't working out for me. This you know equation isn't working out for me. And it wasn't that I wasn't smart enough to do it. It wasn't. It was that I needed the structure and the focus and and the, they didn't provide that for me because they labeled me as. A bad kid. Yeah. As a, He's just bad. <laughs> so behavior, you're right. They put me in a box. They didn't... Uh, I mean... But this, so now what they're doing, I believe, is any, so, any sort of rambunctious behavior, they're wanting to throw meds at it right away. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Uh, well, that what I was going to... What you said first was just going to lead me into my next thing, where the... Well, the... Of... of, of and again, well, I'll just continue saying kids, you mm-hmm. know, young adults. Um, 
in getting them to widen their world, their world knowledge, their world view, mm-hmm. and to expand their because you know every kids for all eternity uh, for all humanity have probably felt that their problem is the biggest problem in the world. Yes, you know when you're when you're a young kid. Yes, so, certainly. I have a twelve year old. It's all right. Everything we go is this every day. <laughs> <laughs> so in that. And then teaching. And he has ADHD. The, the yeah, I'm I'm just a weird duck. Like the, my brain doesn't comprehend a lot of things. Like I don't. I've said this on the show before. I don't comprehend depression. My 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 brain can't. Like I've never felt in despair. I guess you can say. Well, yeah, that would make sense that you can't comprehend it. Yeah, and yeah. I can't. But not. I mean, I've, I mean, you can conceptualize it, but you can't empathize with it because, because you've, it sounds to me like, like you've never been depressed. Well, well, I correct. But when, I mean, in these past 18 months have just been torturous for me. Yeah. They've, it's been like one tragic event after another. Right. And, uh, I will, I'm just uh, I'm just throwing this out. I don't know if this is true, but if someone who were prone to being depressed, mm-hmm. if they had gone through what <clears throat> I've gone through for the past 18 years, yeah, they wouldn't probably make it. Like that would have yeah, been a thing. That would have probably so broke them. Yeah. What I believe my the difference is for me is that as soon as I start to get into a mood of man, I do something. Yeah. Like I like to take pictures. Yeah. I like to make art. I like to learn new things. Right. So, you know, I, you know, quarantine, I developed a aquarium hobby. So I learned as much as I could about all different types of fish and, and uh, how to care for there's shrimp in that one. They're still alive. So I guess we're doing well, (laughs) you know, and then, uh, you know, going back to the, going back to creating, right. right? Creating, whether it be a picture, I, when I'm a big film photography guy, so, all right, I take film pictures. Now what? I need to learn how to develop. And it's like, okay, you know how many different developers there are currently that, you know, to, to develop, to develop pictures and all of them have. So basically what I think is sort of different is that, I don't focus in on the I don't I don't let that heaviness right stay on me right and um and now with social media I mean Facebook hid a report that said that social media hits young girls super super hard because not only is well, for all kids, everything is the mm. end of the world and right. everything is the most important. Right. But then when you see so many different forces, out, so many things out there, where does where does a church and God and teachings fit into that? Where you can where you tell these these uh, where you tell young people. Don't just look at yourself, look outward. Don't mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, don't envy. Like, it seems like, yeah, like 10 commandments is the perfect response to a lot of these things. Don't covet. Yeah, right. Don't. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so the, like, how do you, how do you do that in a 2021 way? Yeah. Do you spit bars? Man, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, a lot of the young people that come, and worship with us they they're not their expectation of of me is not to um try to relate to them in in that way you know try it actually turns them off to be honest with you they they are addicted to raw truth okay yeah and 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 they and they want it to be relevant to what they're dealing with so so i think that's where the the influencing comes back in again. It's hard to influence a generation when you're not connected to what they're connected to. So you really can't speak to it. So it's not that they want to show up and you, and you rap to them or you, you know, uh, preach a sermon over the latest Jay-Z, you know, beat, you know, or (laughs) Travis Scott beat, you know what I'm saying? 
whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's not that they want to show up and, and you have flashing lights and, you know, and the stage is blacked out and there's a spotlight on you. You right. know what I'm saying? It's not that. That's not the thing that okay. they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who can connect to what they're connected to and speak to that. Right. And and speak to that with truth. You know what I'm saying? So so that's literally all I do. I I'd literally take whether whether it's social media, um, whether it's um, their their music that they're listening to, whether it's dating, whether whether it's loving hip hop, <laughs> you know. Uh, whatever it is that they're connected to. And I use those and create scenarios in their mind where they can see the word of God ministering to them in that particular situation, whether that's at school, at the lunchroom table, whether that's in a basketball game, um, doesn't matter. We, we bring it to every part of life. So with that being said, if you notice a lot of the so-called um, mega churches, I mean, COVID didn't help at all. Yeah, I think a lot of them just lost out because of, you know, COVID sent people home. You know what I'm saying? Right. And a lot of people are just not returning back to those places because they're reevaluating what they really need mm. and what they've been fed by the, um, I call it the Hollywood church. Yeah, <laughs> what the Joel Osteen. Yeah, well, <laughs> what they've been fed is uh, a positive thinking message, a self-help message, a prosperity message, a prosperity message. <clears throat> but they have not been given the truth of God's word, which should give peace in the midst of the storm. Right. So it doesn't remove you from the storm, but it gives you peace in the storm. Right, no right, because every yeah, because everybody's not gonna um, come out of the storm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Some people are gonna have to go through it. So what do you say to them? Is there a message for them? Exactly. You see what I'm saying? And <laughs> Unless correct. Yeah. So so there's no meat on the bone. Right. So the people who seek that out right. are gonna easily just be inspired by a sign that says "Eat, Pray, Love." Right. Like there's no yeah. like platitudes. They want platitudes. They want to be told everything. You know, you're they want to be told you're fine just the way you, you know you are. Yeah. And, and I think the scripture that sums it up best, it, it says um, that if if we have um, life or if we have um, if we look forward to this life only. We are of all men most miserable. So what that scripture is saying is that if all you have to look forward to is your new car, your new house, the job, your stocks, your bonds, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your whatever it is, you fill in the blank. The scripture says you're miserable because all of this is fleeting. All of this is temporary, right? The scripture says to set not your affections. You asked me what would I teach them, so this is what I would teach them. To not to not to set your affections on the things of the earth because the things of this earth are temporary, mm-hmm. but to set your affection on things above where the moth and the canker worm can't get to it and destroy it because those things are eternal, which now begs the question, how do I get that? Right. How do I, I obtain work towards that? How do I obtain that piece? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's so interesting that you know people say, "Oh, we changed so much as a society, and we've done." You know, we've you know some will say devolved, others say evolved in <laughs> our way of thinking. But when it really comes down to it, we've done both simultaneously. <laughs> And, don't know how we've met. and you can still use, I mean, the biblical principles still apply sure. to whether you were in 1750 or whether you are here now. It's the, it's the, you know, we, you mentioned before about mm-hmm. success mm-hmm. In, in measured in terms of longevity. Yeah. That seems to be like a pretty good longevity record that it has that you can still, you can point to some, a problem in today's world. Right. And then find a find a you know find something that the bible teaches yeah. for 
how to resolve it or how to deal with it right. or, or comfort, right. how to have it comfort you. Well, what, what, what's comforting to me <clears throat> is that I, I don't, I don't have to deal with everything. I don't, I'm here, here it is. I'm not God. <laughs> That's comforting to me. <laughs> That's and that you can do like your, you have your, you have your, uh, I don't want to say you have your position in yeah. the system that God made and then he'll, he, he's, he's Absolutely. got you. Yeah. That, that's where I'm actually at like right now, you know, yeah. uh, in my life, I just hit the reset button and I'm like, okay, I'm not moving forward doing anything that I don't have the capacity to do. I'll be responsible and do what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But outside of what I can't control, it's in God's hands. Right. And I'm well, at, you know, I'm at that, peace with it. That just sums up a big part of my of me, yeah. of what I say. So one of my favorite things to say is, um, I can't do anything about it. So what am I, what am I worried about? Right. It's like if there is something that I can do about it, then I'll do it. Then I will do it. Right. Like I've had buddies who are a little bit more emotional than I am that have a problem and then will come to me and, you know, say, I mean, and then my very first thing is, okay, what can you do today right. or this week right. that will help, uh, you know, either fix this or move it forward? Right. And then they'll say nothing. And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> like that's a lot of, a lot of calories you're burning here for not being able to do anything about it. But yeah. if they say I can do this or this, I'm like, all right. That's right. where your calories should go. That's Absolutely. where your energy should go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that, that I, I don't know. To me, it's worked out. Like, I think that that's a pretty good way to think about things. Yeah, and I honestly, to be, to be honest with you, I think that for you, it's, it was, it's a gift from God, honestly. For me, it was something that I had to learn. God didn't just give it to me as a gift. Mm. And I and and to be honest with you, you know, and I'm a pastor, so I'm going to do the pastor thing now. <laughs> uh, the scripture says, "According to your faith, be it so unto you." And I think people are just at different levels of faith. Right. Even 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 uh, people who are not born again Christians or unsaved, they have a measure of faith. If I'm going to believe the word, then I'm going to have to believe all of it. Sure. And the scripture says, "Every man has been." dealt or given a measure of faith. Now that's every man that's saved or unsaved, born again or, or not. Yeah. Right. There were people that Jesus ministered to before he went to the cross. Right. Which, so which that predates salvation and Christianity. He ministered to those people without prejudice. They had not accepted him as their savior yet. Right. And he says to this one particular man who had a servant, um, that was ill. And he said, um, you know, my servant's ill. He needs to be healed. And Jesus got ready to go to his house. Matter of fact, this was a centurion Roman soldier. You know, he wasn't saved. Yeah. <laughs> at least at that point. Right. Right. And he was probably involved in all kinds of stuff that the Roman soldiers do. Yeah. <laughs> but notice what Jesus says to him. He says, I'm going to come to your house, heal this person. And the soldier stops him and he says, no, no, you don't have to come to my house. Your reputation precedes you. If you just yeah. speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus responded to this centurion soldier who was unregenerated and probably a wine bibber <laughs> and says to him, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, 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 I believe that what you've experienced in your life is a measure of faith mm. that some people have because it's, it's, it's their measure. And some people have to work up to as they build their relationship with God and delve into his principles and build that inner, inner system up within themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need to do better. <laughs> Cuz uh like a lot of people, I'm a knucklehead and uh I know exactly I'm I know exactly things that I shouldn't probably be doing. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, just in, in relation to the to what you were referring to, you know, that you don't really worry about much, and you kind of just give, you know, say, "Oh, I can't do do anything about it," so, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I think that's a gift. It's well, my wife might say that it's annoying, but uh, it's my wife t- would too. <laughs> But, but I, at the but, same time, it's if there's she, something but, we can do, let's do it. Yeah, you're right. But I but but I have to be honest with you, you know, because that's where I am in my walk now with God. I I wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. I am now because I I built up to that place um, by applying the principles that are, that are in the Word. Mm-hmm. But I will say that my wife would agree with your wife, right? <laughs> but I would also say that she was envious of that place mm-hmm. that I was in my faith and she actually has recently done like a 180 and now she doesn't I'm, I'm noticing she's not worrying about much she's not you know stuff that used to frustrate her she doesn't fr- yeah because i think she's seen me not worry about it right and seeing that it was going to be okay you know we're mm-hmm. facing this yes yeah but it's not the end of the world right we're going to live to see another day yep that's more times than not, I yeah. mean, we we worry a whole lot about nothing, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, I well, that's good. Yeah. That way, there's a, your home, your your household is a little bit more peaceful. Yeah, I wouldn't say peaceful, just calm. it is peaceful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nobody nobody wants to live like that, man. Well, Pastor, thank you so much for coming. Um, I, man, I think that a lot get, of people just, are going to be interested. <laughs> we didn't we didn't get to the hard stuff today. You took you know, it easy on me, man. We. <laughs> You'll have to come back hey, because I want to talk about. Uh, um, we need to talk about this prosperity message okay, that, that comes it. on. Well, for next one, yeah, okay, we'll do the prosperity stuff. Um, oh, there was like two other things that that I had. It's like, should we talk about this? But we'll we'll save it for for next time. Um, tell us about your church. Where can we find you? Yeah, I'm in Skyway. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with Skyway, it's unincorporated Seattle. It's it's South Seattle, um, but it's like right in between Renton and the Rainier Beach area. Hmm. So yeah, we worship on Sundays at one o'clock. Uh, that's part of what I strategically do uh, for the uh, millennials yeah. that sleep in on Sundays <laughs> because of the shenanigans on Saturday. On Saturday, <laughs> right? And then on and then on Tuesday we have Bible studies at uh, seven o'clock. Okay, yeah. and then I'll put uh, I'll put all that information in the show notes and yeah. and link link uh, link the accounts. Yeah, Greater GT Church. Well, again, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again and Absolutely. diving deep into the uh, into a little bit. Well, I don't even know if we're going to be that far off of the harder issues. I think that we're yeah. going to be pretty in line. Oh, but yeah. but uh, I'll come at it from. Uh, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure you have plenty of Mexican. <laughs> Oh, colleagues yeah. that you speak with and absolutely um but so that's where <laughs> i would come from we appreciate it absolutely. so thanks everyone for listening don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app itunes stitcher iHeartRadio, and spotify and then don't forget to check out the sponsors thanks for listening